The journey of being an entrepreneur and a startup founder is far from an easy one. The road is full of perils, pitfalls and hidden dangers along the way. So what's the secret of success? And you just have to back yourself, get loads of credit cards, keep the faith. <laughs> keep the faith and know that and believe that where you're going is going to lead to bigger and greater things and just keep having that vision. Hi and welcome to Make Rome Rules, the Mavericks Unlimited podcast. I'm your host Chris Saroy and this is the place to be to become your best self, do work you love and live life on your terms. On this podcast we speak to Mavericks who inspire us. We want to get the insight and wisdom from their story to give you the clarity, courage and conviction that you need to make your mark on the world. On this week's episode, I speak to Ross Taylor and Rich Bloom, the founders of Hidden. Hidden is a really exciting startup that's aiming to rock the world of recruitment by using a very different financial model and by using technology to eliminate any kind of prejudice or bias from the recruitment process. What's so exciting about Hidden is that Ross and Rich are really trying to build a prosperous company, but they're also driven by the want to do something socially good in the world. They're two really big-hearted guys who in this episode are very open about the perils and pitfalls of being a startup founder and entrepreneur. They talk about how difficult it can be to manage cash flow, to bring the right staff on board for them, and also the impact that being a founder and entrepreneur has had on their family. We also talk about, ultimately speaking, the success they've had and what's made it work for them from working together for 14 years. So with that, let's jump right in and see what Ross and Rich had to say. Guys, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Tell us a little bit about what you're up to in the world and let's dive in from there. I am Richard Bloom um, and I'm one of the founders of, of Hidden. And I suppose my life began, my working life began wanting to become an actor. Um, I did a drama degree at university and I kind of came out of the university thinking that's how I'm going to make my fortune. But I very quickly realized that wasn't the case. Um, and... Also, of, of course, that passion to want to get into recruitment that had always been with me. But I think like a lot of people, I fell into recruitment um, and but was very adamant at the point where I got into it that it was I wanted to do something in a in a space that I felt would be very interesting and kind of appealed to the type of market that I have a passion for. So it was always around the kind of creative and media space. Um, joined a small um, recruitment business, but at the time was one of the top creative business, cr- creative recruitment businesses in London called Purple, which is where I met Ross. Um, worked there for a few years and then um, both Ross and myself set up another recruitment business in this space called Gemini People. Right. Um, and then decided to leave there in November last year to pursue uh, a new avenue, um, which is what has become Hidden. Hi, Krish. Uh, so I'm Ross, the other co-founder of Hidden, uh, and also very impressed that Richard didn't mention his career, short-lived career at MTV, because that's usually what he likes to talk about. <laughs> um, so I, I'm actually a northerner, despite my um, accent. I know. So I grew up in Manchester um, and then went traveling to seek fame and fortune and ended up away for a year and a half and came back from there um, with no real ambition, um, some neon paint on me and some camo shorts, and kind of <laughs> not really sure where I was going or what I was doing with myself. Um, was very fortunate to have a very good education and, and was, was, was wasting it. Um, 
So I came to London and thought, I know I'll work in events, that will be cool. Um, so I went to interview for an events job, but little did I know I was actually just registering with a recruiter. And um, they said to me, well, why don't you, you try this? Um, and I thought, well, well, what's this? I just want to go to events and party and um, give people free drinks and canapes. And um, he told me about recruitment and I thought, yeah, I could be quite good at that. Um, and it went on from there, really. I started in public sector finance. Um, so I used, to, I used to find jobs for parking enforcement officers in the, <laughs> in the Lon London borough of Brent and Waltham Forest. Um, and then I moved uh, into the creative industries and really kind of found my, my home. I think that creative side that was obviously trying to get, get out of me with my neon paint graphics uh, really came to the front and um, spent four years plus at Purple and then Richard and I left together to co-found Gemini, as he said, which was a six and a half year journey for sure. And now uh, here we are, three and a half months into our soft launch of our new business um, with uh, the full launch on its way. Very good, very good. I love that both uh, quite colourful backgrounds there. Um, so here we are at Hidden and you know anyone who has ever founded a startup will know it's not always the easy, easiest thing to do and you've got to really want to do it basically. So you've already done one startup and like taken it through to six, six and a half years, whatever it was you, you said. What is, what's the, the impetus behind this? Because Hidden has quite a different um, business model, quite a different approach to it. So tell us about what's led you to this and what is hidden and what makes it different? Um, so firstly, to pick up on your first point, um, you're absolutely right. Startups are not easy um, and startups are definitely not for everybody. Um, you know, there is a huge perception of the Instagram lifestyle associated with startups um, with flexible working and sitting around the roof at Shoreditch House in the summer, doing a bit of work, dipping your toes in the pool. And it's not like that at all. You know, it's, it, it's, it consumes every waking moment. Mm -hmm. And I think in order to therefore work through that, you have to be really passionate about what you want to achieve. And through our time running Gemini, um, we felt that talent is the creative industry's biggest asset but that we were running a business that had an outdated model and we wanted to fix that. And we felt it was imperative, not only for our own sanity, but also for the industry as a whole. I think there are huge talent challenges around talent at the moment for the creative industries. And when we say creative industries, we mean advertising, architecture, design, fashion, PR, tech. Um, and the recruitment model, as it has stood for so many years, uh, I don't think it's a client-led solution and we wanted to put the customer first so we wanted to do something very different. So we had some time off and thought about that uh, and what we wanted to do and and here we are kind of working towards the goal of, of driving a business into the industry that's going to shake things up. Okay. I think the other thing that Again, running a contingency, quite traditional recruitment business, which, you know, we, we kind of built up to about 60 people, was actually starting to, to look at the challenges um, facing faced around actually recruiters and what they want to be doing in terms of their careers. Um, obviously, the contingency recruitment model is very sales driven, as everyone will know. So even the most consultative recruiters 
are potentially bound by the businesses that they're in because at the end of the day they're they're purely going to be judged on a monthly basis by the number that's above their head so it, we kind of felt that that really drove the wrong behaviors plus i think a lot of people now a lot of people in the recruitment industry are starting to see that this isn't just a we need to hire lots a lot of place and hire lots and lots of people it's actually about the more kind of strategic element with diversity and inclusion becoming a big part of of actually advising clients on what they need to be doing as part of their overall talent strategy and i think recruiters are getting tired of just being in businesses where essentially a lot of the time they're treated like kids um core hours at your desk get on the phone you know you're asking a bunch of you know essentially millennials coming through who never speak to their friends on the phone never mind have to call up random people that they've never spoken to before to actually get on the phone and make calls or actually the rules of engagement now have changed a lot so part of what we wanted to do with hidden was create um new career paths for people who are really good at recruitment but but want to go about doing it in a very different way that makes a, a, a lot of sense. And what I like is that you're talking about shaking the world up for both of your clients, but also for recruitment consultants. Um, and I know, you know, I mean, the words recruitment and actually recruitment consultant will have certain implications for certain people. But, you know, there aren't many recruitment solutions you come across that use the word hidden as the name. So why why hidden? What's that all about? There are so many layers, Chris, to hidden. Um, so tell me about it. <laughs> so hidden means a number of different things as far as the business business model goes. So part of our model is that we um, place hidden employees on site with our with our clients, and they're kind of hidden within the organisation. Um, part of our model is that we have uh, a bias free gateway from a digital platform perspective. So our candidates are actually, their names are removed when um, submitted for roles. Their hidden profiles will give them a random color and uh, a random avatar to help distinguish them in the submission process. So our candidates themselves are hidden. Um, We also, around the whole, sort of continuing on the theme of diversity and inclusion, um, want to go out there and start looking in hidden talent pools so we spoke a bit earlier about the fact that uh, there's a real uh, issue in the industry of, of, of um, hiring managers and employers talking about a talent shortage. And actually, if you look in the right places, there are some really talented people that for whatever reason are blocked from getting into any industry, but in particular, the kind of creative digital and tech space. So we wanted to address that. So there, anything else that goes along with hidden well it, <laughs> you won't be surprised here it goes on further than that and and for me it's kind of the deeper the deeper reason actually which is we wanted to um, enable some real social and cultural change in the industry and as a traditional recruiter when you're trying to drive different behaviors around particularly around diversity and inclusion you often get asked to sponsor an event or pay for the bar tab. You never really are able to get to get deep into the talent acquisition process and start to influence businesses around the type of people they're bringing into their organizations. And because we're placing people, including ourselves, inside organizations 
as talent consultants, we can start to influence change. And for me, when something is hidden, you know it's there, but you don't know how to find it. And for me, that is the solution currently to the diversity inclusion challenges in the industry. People are well aware that these problems are there, but I don't think anybody, there's lots of pockets of great things going on, but overall for full inclusion and intersectionality, I don't think anybody has found that solution. So for us, it's about empowering businesses to have a different approach to talent. Love that. Absolutely love that. And, you know, you've mentioned, you've both mentioned diversity and inclusion quite a lot here. And uh, I want to dig into your reasons behind, you know, what drives you personally to kind of look at that as, as an issue in a second. But from your, your careers, you know, we hear, hear the words diversity and inclusion a lot. And a lot of people kind of see that as a, you know, something to, you know, pay lip surface to, or, you know, have we got the right quote of people or that kind of thing. From your point of view as experts in the field, what is the real impact of some of the diversity and inclusion issues that you're seeing in businesses? Um, I think, well, one thing you mentioned there was, was quotas, actually, and people driving towards that. And I do think there's lots of debate about around that and whether that should exist. And for me, my, my personal view is if things aren't measured, things don't change. Uh, so we do encourage organizations to start to think about that. Um, so that's the first thing. But the industry as a whole, I think, has a big problem that the agencies, particularly creative agencies or even product developers um, and businesses that are, are innovating aren't reflecting the consumer. And their thought process in creation is, is influenced by the biases of the people in the room. And if everybody's from the same place with the same biases, they get the same thought and the same idea. So for us, the, the broader challenge is around bringing different people into the organization so the output can change and the campaigns and the products being developed can reflect the consumer audience, um, which I think is in an industry that's being pressured around procurement and an industry that's finding its feet against the Googles and Amazons and Facebooks of the world, it's really important that it's an output-led industry and that the quality of that work reflects the type of work that consumers want to see. Yeah, and I also think that there's a lot of tokenism that happens within within the whole kind of diversity and inclusion space at the moment. And organizations almost see it as a box ticking exercise you know they know it's a big issue they know things have got to change but if we just set up something over here a group that deals with I don't know one particular part of the diversity and inclusion puzzle then we'll be all right because we're kind of doing something Um, and and obviously this isn't going to change overnight but the getting to the point where there's real kind of intersectionality within any diversity and inclusion project or, or, or whatever it might be um, is the place where it needs to get to because it's really blocking the hiring of some really, really talented people in the space. So what I kind of hear there, like if we want to bring it down to kind of a very basic level, and this is just my simple interpretation is if an organization keeps on doing the same old stuff over and over and again, it'll get the same old results. Whereas actually... When you dive into hidden talent pools, when you're bringing different people with different backgrounds, that's what helps creativity, innovation, and in the creative industry, obviously, those those things are quite key. Um, so looking at the fact that you, you're doing this, this startup that is 
essentially going to really could potentially radically change the way things are done in terms of talent acquisition and all that kind of thing. You've chosen to kind of have this social kind of um, impetus to it as well. What is it within the two of you personally that makes you, you know, give a crap about that? Because that's a really personal thing. Um, and, you know, there aren't many people in your, you know, in, in the talent acquisition world who would necessarily go after that as a, as a primary thing. Because you've built it into your business model as well. So tell us about that, your personal drive. Yeah, I think that's a really fair question. <clears throat> and we have been in a circumstance where sometimes the remarks are flippant, but the remarks are, oh, look at you you guys, two privately school-educated 30-something white guys trying to change the world. I didn't go to private school, by the way. Well, just me. Um, so, and that that is a fair point. Um and I think the concern for me initially actually actually started around uh, mental health issues in the workplace um, because um, I, I had a real challenge during our time at, at Gemini and um, in the workplace it wasn't necessarily always considered and it became a real challenge for me. And I started thinking around, around mental health problems and um, looking at the statistics, particularly as a founder, that 72% of entrepreneurs um, have some kind of mental health challenge. And that wasn't being reflected in any of the clients that we work with. Um, and so that became the first kind of driver. But then once we started to dig deeper and actually understand more around societal oppressions and why we were going into rooms of people who couldn't give us a reason around the consideration for the mental health of their employees, but also looking around the room and thinking, well, actually, this the population of people in here is not even reflective of society. And and those, those hidden pools of talents that you talk about aren't even being brought into the conversation. And we all need to start thinking about people that aren't in the room. And so for us, it, and for me personally, it became quite an emotional project and quite an emotional... Um, I became emotionally engaged in wanting to drive some difference because I'd had my own experience and, and you know once you get to our age most people have been through something but I think when that happens to you it's what you do with that experience and for me it's a deep motivation to want to try and deliver a business that can leave a legacy you know there's a commercial impact of what we're doing of course there is um, but actually if we can look back and have shifted the dial across the creative industries, then that'll be something that we can be really proud of. Yeah, and I, and I also think that there we're in, you know, as recruiters and, and you know, because at the end of the day, that is what we are, albeit kind of looking at it in, in, in a different type of way. I think we're in quite a privileged position to be able to look at organisations from an outside perspective. Um, and actually our model is is going inside organizations and starting to work with clients from from within um, and actually being able to be slightly removed from the emotions of the day-to-day -day. and I think once someone that we've that we've been working with describes their kind of recruitment and talent situation as a, as a train that just kind of keeps going and going and going and, and we just need to kind of jump on board that train but to me that is actually the opposite of what needs to happen so using that analogy I think the train actually needs to stop and we're in a position where we can be at that station see where I'm going with this analogy 
um, and we can actually help help direct what's going on in a different type of way. And actually, I think people need to take a deep breath on their talent strategies. They need to stop panicking. They need to stop having that big number of we need to fill X amount of roles ASAP and actually break it down. And, and I think as a recruiter in a traditional contingency recruitment business, it becomes very difficult because actually, you know, you, you, you want to encourage the client to hire and hire and hire and hire because that's how the business makes its money. Because with the hidden model, it's a subscription fee and you get unlimited hiring for that subscription, it completely removes that issue. So we can actually really take time to advise our clients on, on, on what they need to do and how many people they actually do need to hire. So it, it does completely change that conversation around talent. And I think personally for me, it's, it's to be able to, to start to influence that change and to actually start to feel part of that conversation when I've been wanting to do that for all, through my time in recruitment but haven't been able to for the reasons that we've discussed previously, I think that that for me is, is, a, is a really big drive. Just hearing that, guys, I mean, you know, my background, I started off in HR, you know, I've dealt with many recruitment consultants in my time and, and you kind of both um, almost restore my faith in humanity hearing you say that to be honest um i guess you know one of the questions for me i kind of want to look at kind of some of the challenges you've been facing in terms of starting hidden and you know because many of our listeners will either have started their own business or be thinking about it you know that might be a little solo entrepreneur thing or it might be like kind of trying to build something go for funding that kind of stuff um in your, you know, given that the, there is a prevailing model that most organisations work to, the contingency model, um, what have been the challenges in your soft launch of, of bringing organisations on board? What do you anticipate being your way of kind of shifting perception so that people will try something new? Because most organisations are pretty conservative or, as you've said before, they don't really have the time to even stop and think that there might be an alternative. Yeah, you're absolutely right. What we're trying to do is change behaviors and <clears throat> change habits. And that can be a really difficult process, particularly in, in larger organizations where there are multiple stakeholders, there are um, perhaps even parent companies that, that approvals have to go through, and people have been doing the same thing and have their relationships that they've had for a long time. And we're trying to disrupt all of that. Um, and as you said, you know, if you keep, but if you keep doing the same thing, you'll get the same results and the same, those results are not working. You know, talent is the creative industry's biggest asset and it should be at the top of every CEO's agenda in terms of the strategy around attraction and retention. And we want to offer a different solution and that being able to shift that mindset to actually, we do need to look at this a different way is a slower process absolutely and that is a that is a challenge sometimes um we go and talk to leaders and they totally get it um and as as you said a minute ago we we feel like we've restored some faith which is great to hear and thank you but also that means that your faith must have been lost at some point as an hr professional and we do also get that a lot so people are resistant to change but open at least the doors open in that there is a want for something different. We just have to convince them that what we're offering is right. 
Yeah. <laughs> the, this way the joy of the editing process, right? Um, so, in this kind of situation, you have you're on your second startup. You've worked together for 14 years. Um, what are the what are the pros and cons of or the challenges and strengths of having such a long established founder relationship? Uh, yeah, I think the, the uh, I only see it really as a positive. Um, I think you know we've we have worked together for a very long time, but through that time, I think we we kind of both get to know each other's strengths and each other's weaknesses, and we it kind of is a bit of a an unspoken conversation, if you like, between us where we know where those lie. But I think we also have the ability in um kind of the positions that we've held and, and what we're doing with hidden now where we can also um kind of replicate each other's strengths but we may not ju- we might not be as strong as that per- if, if do you see what i'm saying with that so we can we can both do the same yeah. but we can we also have some very different strengths as well which which i think can work really well together so what would you say your strengths are and what would you say Ross's strengths are, and I'm going to ask the question opposite in a second. <laughs> so, so what I think my strengths are is, I think I, I think I do think I'm a bit of an all-rounder, but I think when it comes to it, I can be pretty grounded, as I think is an observation that you, you made before. And yes, you have to throw a bit of caution to the wind. In fact, probably a lot of caution to the wind when you're when you're doing a startup model, and particularly when we're doing something very different. But I think I can I can be grounded. I can I can take things back to take things back a couple of steps before we actually action things, just to make sure everything's considered. Um, so probably on the more I would say kind of operational stuff and the detail, um, I would say that plays to my strength. And I also think if I'm in front of the right clients, having the right type of conversations, then then that can also be a strength of mine in terms of the kind of advisory side. Makes sense. Makes sense. And what would you say Ross's strengths are? Ross is great at um, being out there, networking, talking to people, um, selling the vision, and also, you know, I think delivering on that vision as well. So yes, kind of very much um, just love, probably love networking a hell of a lot more than me. I'm um, going back to the neon, neon paint and camo shorts um, <laughs> that you mentioned earlier, but I think vision, I it is, and one that you can regularly see. Actually, I don't yeah, think it's. it's very <laughs> um, but but doing that, but but having that whole side, and but also I think as we've worked together, as I said before, kind of over the years, that we we both try and continually push each other in the areas that perhaps we aren't as strong at. So. For example, there's a contract that we need to look at at the moment. And I'm pushing Ross to have a look at that with me. Um, he'll push me to have some of the maybe more commercial conversations that perhaps in the past I would have shied away from. So that actually helps us kind of upskill each other as well. And uh, just to be really clear, Mavericks, I saw this process of uh, of Rich trying to get Ross to look at the contract, and it was painful. Um, so same question to you, Ross. What are your strengths and what do you see as uh, Rich's strengths? And are there any cons to ha- of having worked together for such a long time? I think to make the the first point and just elaborate on on that, um, it used to be that 
I would cause chaos and Richard would clean it up. And that was when we were young, um, right, right back at the start. <laughs> um, now what that's matured into the, the kind of networking and the sales and, and the keeping the business in the future versus the implementation and actually delivering on projects that we win and making our, our quite bold statements that we're making to clients a reality. Because particularly around the very important topics that we're discussing and the changes that we're trying to make, um, we do want to deliver results and our business will quite quickly fall if we tell a great story, win some clients and then churn them. Um, and that, that word will spread pretty quickly. So Richard's input is invaluable in bringing the whole business with it once I'm out there having those conversations. Um, and his ability to interpret what I'm saying and, and bring everybody on the journey with me. Because I absolutely have a weakness that my head's in the future. And a contract being an example, we're in the process of winning the client. Great, I'm thinking about winning the next one. Um, where uh, somebody needs to, to, to dot the I's and cross the T's. And Richard has amazing attention to detail and is, and is thinking about the impact to the business of every point on that contract. Uh, whereas I'm always thinking about how do we hire to, to fulfill it? How do, we, how do we win the next one? Um, and your final question was, was what about working together so long? Um, I think that's only a strength. We've been through a huge amount together. Our last journey as co-founders had its absolute challenges. We know a huge amount on that journey with our, with our VC. Um, and it's really important that we've had each other there for that support. As I mentioned earlier, I had a big personal challenge midway through that journey. Uh, and I don't think I could have got through that without Richard's support. Um, and that continues now because this entrepreneur's journey is really difficult. And there are, yes, we might win a client and be reviewing contracts, but... Um, other days, there's, there's some real lows um, and you have to be there to pick each other up. Um, and when I talk to solo founders um, and understand their pressures and experiences, um, I always say to them, you know, can find somebody to share this with. And actually that can be us, um, even if it's just to share the pain, um, because harboring all of that on your own and taking that to bed every night is really difficult. And, and I also think it, it speaks volumes that when we both made the decision to leave our last business, we were both, we both, I remember it very clearly. We sat down in a coffee shop and we both said and kind of committed to the fact that we wanted to do something together. Um, and that could have been a perfect opportunity for one of us, both of us to say, do you know what? We've had enough of each other now and, and enough's enough, but actually we didn't do that. And I think that, shows the strength of the relationship that we've got and I think it's great for I think I think it's reassuring as we kind of hire people to join the business well hopefully it's reassuring that people can see that you know we know what we've do, what we're doing we've been through this we've been through as Ross was saying a, a really interesting if that's the word journey I'm um, in our last business and bringing together all of those skills that we picked up all of the experience that we've had into hidden I think means that people joining us are also going to learn from that too. And I think it offers, even though we're a startup, it gives some kind of stability to it as well, which I think people appreciate. 
that makes absolute sense and i really appreciate you can boys um because what's really clear is there's a the chemistry between the two of you and how you work together is really clear and you can it's pretty evident right from the beginning of how you complement each other and that's been clear from the moment that i sat down next to you um you're very welcome um i guess the you know as, as you said the entrepreneur's journey is far from an easy one um you're a few months into hidden now. You've got your hard launch in a few weeks' time. What have been some of the challenges that have really kind of come up through the this journey so far of this startup, and how have you overcome them? Well, I think the first start, the first challenge that any any startup that's trying to grow from the word go is how the hell are we going to make payroll, um, and and that. That feeling doesn't go away every single day. Um, and very fortunately, we are working with businesses that are totally backing what we're doing. And they're, they're very open to help us with that, um, which is great. Um, and that, that's a pressure because, as Richard said, when people actually look at quite a stable founding team, they expect those things as a given um, when really they're not. Um, and as we grow, because every um, client or, or if they have a lighter solution, every group of clients that we win, it, it necessitates that we hire because we have to have a talent partner to put inside those organizations. So payroll grows pretty quickly, yeah, yeah. Um, as well as launching our technology, which went live in the app store last week, which we're iterating weekly. So we have a tech team. Wow. We have a tech team in-house to support as well. Um, so there's a huge financial pressure uh, ev every month, which is very, very real. And I think that the second challenge is just around, around the behavior, behavior piece and really trying to get organizations and leaders to think about things differently and for people to really give as much of a, sorry for swearing, but to give as much of a shit as we do around talent and uh, shifting the needle and doing something different and bringing, get, making businesses feel uncomfortable and making businesses feel brave around the types of people that they're bringing into their organizations. Yeah, I think, and I think other than the payroll challenge from my point of view, which, um, you know, we're getting through nicely. We've got um, seven clients on board already, which is excellent. And three of those are a hell of a lot bigger than we anticipated we'd have at this point. So that that's really exciting. But I think when you're going to market with a new proposition, I think, you know, as, as Ross touched on there, it is getting people to, I think very early on, we found it quite difficult to articulate what we were doing. And we actually engaged some help with an agency to help us put together a deck that got our ideas down in a concise way that we could really communicate that. And I, I think that's a really important thing that perhaps we overlooked. Like we would just go into client meetings and we, we would know the vision, but we wouldn't be able to necessarily articulate that because we were really passionate about what we were talking about. One thing just rolled into another, et cetera, et cetera. So, so getting that messaging right at the beginning was really, really key. Um, I think once we got that right, I've actually been, you know, surprised to some extent. I think we've surprised ourselves as to how much people are buying into what we're doing. Um, I'm also surprised when I talk to some people that just totally don't understand it, but that's fine because they're not, they're not right for us at, at this moment in time. Um, so yeah, I think actually 
the challenge of getting that idea across once we got the idea in an articulate format um, has actually been slightly easier than I anticipated it would be, which Amazing. which is great. So, I mean, I think that, that speaks to like the really important, and it's certainly something we've had at Mavericks of, you know, you start with a passion and then you kind of have ideas of how you're going to implement it. But actually, then when people turn around and say, so what is it you do? It can be quite difficult to articulate. So I've, I feel that pain. And what's great to hear is you're very articulate about what hidden is and what you're doing and what's behind it and what drives you. Sorry, one more bit. I think the other the other side to it, of course, from a is a is a almost like a personal finance point of view, which I think, if we're kind of being honest, I'm um, going from kind of, sort of being co CEOs and, and founders of a you know established recruitment business right. to actually sort of going solo and then doing something again. That's been a big a big step, and you know we're both older than we were when we started our last business. We've both got families. Um, and that brings with it a pressure, um, a, a real kind of personal pressure. And we're lucky to both have really supportive families and um, that's great. But, but you know, it, it is definitely a challenge. So you, you make a, a, an awesome point there, actually, because, I mean, you know, that's the thing in front of a lot of our listeners. It's, you know, that want to either step out of a mainstream job or, you know, to grow a business, but it involves risk. And especially when, as you say, we're of a, a certain age where families are involved and probably children and, you know, commitments, um, finances can be a pressure. So given that you're, as you just said, it's, it's still an issue for you. How do you navigate that territory? Uh, and how do you... Credit. <laughs> yeah. well uh, so how do you never remortgage it so how, but how do you navigate that with your with your families as well and kind of keep that safe i think the support of your families becomes invaluable we are really lucky to have uh, both have wives that are totally behind this and and you know they keep in touch because we've known each other so long and i think they saw uh our pain at times in our last business journey and they saw the struggles and they saw I think the fire go behind our eyes and when you come home and you're um not in a good place that obviously affects the home dynamic as well and I think they are both completely behind us wanting to follow our dream um, and they can see the passion around what we're trying to create and so are totally supportive with that um, and it does, yeah, it does create pressure, absolutely, and and that's why I think entrepreneurship isn't for everybody, um, because you have to shift your lifestyle completely. Um, you know, we we were um, a fourteen million turnover business, and it was a great place running that, and and the role becomes around as a co CEO becomes around keeping your clients happy, winning new clients, and and you you behave in a certain way, and you hang out in certain places, and all of that has to change. Um, and it's a it's a lifestyle shift, but I think the, the the best thing you can do around that is to have really open and honest conversations with each other and at home, and um, that support is then com completely reciprocated. Yeah, and I think that's that's a really good point, as well as the financial side. It's the it's the psychology of it as well. You know, you kind of go from from as Ross said, you know, the privileges of, of being part of a, of a bigger, bigger established business in a very senior role running it. Um, 
and then sort of psychologically how does that impact you to not perhaps be able to buy your daughter that present that you would have bought her or whatever it might be and I think a lot of that is around you just be suppose having to back yourself and have that that inner belief and it goes back to our point of working together I think that you know we're able to drive each other on and and psychologically pick each other up um and actually I think you know you often speak to people when you've set up a new business and they go yeah good it must be exhausting it must be really tiring and and yes of course you know it does it does it's all you you know it's all a thing it's it's all consuming it's all you think about but it's a when you are doing something that you're really passionate about and that you enjoy and that you you feel is going to make a difference it's a different type of exhaustion um compared to the going to home going home you know when you're in a bad place because you're just frustrated because you can't get a business where you want to get it to and through through not necessarily any control from you know any control that or anything in your power um so I think, yeah, I think that our families have seen us go through that. And now we're in a position where we're really excited about what we're building. And you just have to back yourself, get loads of credit cards, keep the faith, <laughs> keep the faith and know that and believe that where you're going is going to lead to bigger and greater things and just keep having that vision, which is why having, you know, someone working with someone who's who is more visionary than me and can kind of keep talking about where we're going to get to actually can really help drive me on i love that and that's a you know you you made a couple of really nice distinctions in there and i think you know just it's it's a very honest conversation to have because this is like one of those hidden conversations about entrepreneurship that we all have but not many people talk about um and the point you just made about, you know, can I buy this toy for my daughter or whatever, that's about as real as it gets, isn't it, really? Um, so talking about, about, you know, reality and all that kind of thing, another reality of uh, any startup is there are always four and a half million things to do all at the same time. And, you know, you, you really need to have 47 hours in the day, but there are only 24 and you have to sleep for at least three of those. Um, what what are each of your kind of personal strategies for, I don't know, productivity, getting stuff done, not burning out, that kind of malarkey, as it were? For me, the not, not burning out is driven by physical exercise, which sounds counterintuitive because yeah, when, sure. when you're tired, why would you put your body through that? Surely you should rest. But actually, for, for me, that's... 45 minutes to an hour of complete mental space where you think about nothing else, whether it's the boxing pads, whether it's the cross trainer or whether it's weights and just being in that environment um, and all of the kind of endorphins that that brings with it and the clarity, you're far more productive. And I think anybody that works for us, um, work-life balance is really, really important with totally on board with that. We don't have any fixed work hours. We're not even hugely bothered about where people are you know we empower people to have and we have the trust in our employees that they will get what they need to done and they can manage their own time we're, we're completely against presenteeism um, and I think all of that is is really important but when it when it comes to tasks um, you know there's we've I've read lots of books and and tried to to work in different in different ways um, but I'm a fan of a to-do list every evening before I go to bed. Um, I have 
in, in a bit of an old school way, a pad and pen by my bed to turn my brain off uh, and, and write things down. Um, I use an app to get me to sleep every night because my brain needs to shut down. Uh, so I have I have a sleep story. This is really opening up every night. Um, which there's one on GDPR. There's one on the rules of cricket. You can really kind of take some stuff from that. Yeah. Um, and I think those little little things that you can do to kind of adjust and switch off is so important because you need rest. You, you're right, you can find yourself working 21 hours a day, but the quality of your work drops. Um, and we're um, really, really on board with balance um, and working with actually VaynerMedia as a client who, who you had a Claude, their chief heart officer, on one of your earlier podcasts is fantastic because I'm learning lessons from them and from Claude and the way that Claude communicates across all the 750 people that work here around how you can be your best self. And all of that is really, really important to find balance. Yeah, I think the balance point is a really key one. And actually, I sat down with somebody once who drew, it was almost like a pie chart on a bit of paper because I think one thing that I used to be really, really bad at was just letting work absorb me so much that it's all I thought about. It really um, shaped my behavior when I was going home. Um, and somebody just sat down with me once and drew a pie, a, a pie chart. And it's something that really has resonated with me actually around um, you know, dividing up like what your priorities are kind of in your life. And then looking at another one alongside that about the reality of where you're actually spending your time on a daily and weekly basis. And when I did that, um, I realized it it was a real visual representation for me of how much time I just spent thinking about work or like, and how much it absorbed me when actually my priorities were my family, because, you know, I think we're both of the mindset family always comes first and yes obviously the business is highly important to us but you can't get anywhere without your family and friends so I think it so that having that picture in my mind is something that has has stayed with me a lot and and I and I often kind of almost check myself on a daily basis where I feel I'm kind of tipping over that where I kind of put that parameter in my life to say, right, if you start to go over that and, and work starting to take up that much space in, within the diagram, you've got to kind of take a step back. I also think physical exercise is something that I've definitely kind of, since we've set hidden up, thrown myself into, which I wasn't doing before. Um, that is, that is, although we, we don't go to the same gym and we're quite competitive about that. But um, I, yeah, I've, I make sure that I go to the gym and I'm really strict and I put it in my diary at least two lunch times a week um, and just make sure that whatever else I'm doing, I do it kind of around that and start to prioritize that and block that out because it does make a huge difference to the way you think and, and how you can go about making yourself actually more productive. And again, as Ross says, we inc- we really want to encourage that in the people that, that work for us. Um, we want them to be working for a place where they feel free and they don't have that kind of awful, and, and I've been there before, that kind of trapped feeling of, God, I've got these set hours within a day that I have to work. And I just don't think that, that it it inspires people and you get the best out of them that way. What I'm really hearing underneath all of this in language I would use is 
uh, I want to create a human-centered workplace or a people-first workplace, whatever that is. And you guys will know because you're in this business as well. There's a real movement out there that is kind of trying to make organizations more people forward, shall we say, in talent acquisition, in development, in reward, all that kind of stuff. But um, but the other thing I'm hearing is that, you know, there's something here about you're actually walking the talk. It's one thing to tell your employees to do one thing, but if you don't do it, you set a tone. And that's really nice to hear. Um, and you mentioned Claude in there, who is another one of the members of our little tribe, as it were. Um, just a couple more questions. Um, when you're building a values-based business, and you have a passion to create social change, it's not unusual to have kind of heroes or heroines or influences that, uh, you know, that pull you along the way, as it were. So I'm just kind of curious, who are your influences or heroes or heroines and why? That is a very good question, Chris. And I think it works on, for me, on different levels. In the day-to-day around what we're doing, there's an ecosystem of amazing businesses and like-minded people who are also trying to influence change in the same industry, of which we are really proud to associate with. And they are in a similar situation. They're more often than not founders trying to make a difference. And we keep a community of those people and engage with people and support each other's events and refer, refer business to each other, Mavericks included, and that everybody in that in that group, um, be it Creative Equals, Fearless Futures, Utopia, everybody inspires each other. And we're constantly on that journey. And through that network, we're constantly privileged enough to be meeting new people that inspire us all the time. Um, on a broader sense, there are a number of people and probably one of those for me, which is quite controversial, who even made it into my wedding speech, uh, is Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. And that gets some funny looks for me sometimes. Um, <laughs> and that's the only physical attribute that is remotely similar, no matter how hard I go to the gym, Chris. Um, and, and the reason why, and I don't know if any of your listeners have seen the Ronaldo documentary, and if you haven't, I urge you to go and watch it. He is so dedicated and so focused on being the best that he can be and that the world has ever seen. And that is his absolute focus in life. And he's a quiet man. He's withdrawn. The PR image that you see of him isn't necessarily what you would get through the program or, or my perception of real life. Um, and I joke that the Instagram me is actually nothing like the real life. Um, <laughs> as, ri- yeah, as Richard would attest and my, my wife certainly would. Um, but... But that joke aside, you know, it's that sacrifice of other things to achieve your dream. And he has done that. And and the success that he's had in the game is just unbelievable. And and you could argue he's the best that's ever lived. Um, But seeing that total focus to get to where you want to, for me, is inspiring. I suppose one person that does stand out for me, kind of still going down the, the football theme, would be David Beckham. Because again, I think that's somebody who has really um, kind of taken on board all the responsibilities that that he's been given throughout his life and his career. Um, still seems to kind of focus on the fact that he's got a family as well. 
but I think at the same time, has you've you've kind of seen a real change in him from being someone that would used to shy away from the camera to actually someone who will lead and and show real charisma and personality. So I think he's had to go through a real change in his in his outward persona, which has actually kind of captured the imagination of a lot of people. Um, and he's a very yeah, he just comes across as someone who seems pretty genuine and, and pretty humble considering the success he's had, which which I quite like, going back to my grounded self. <laughs> he does just come across as a as a, a really nice lad from he's from East London, isn't he? Or just kind of East London Essex border. Um, and he does come across as quite humble actually, which I love. Um so last question, um lads of hidden as it were i'm kind of curious what does the future hold what what is the future of hidden what is the future of rich and ross and uh where will we see you in a few years time so for me i think um when we're in the situation we're in i think you have a a kind of a medium term future and a, a kind of a vision of of, of the longer term future right. i think for me at the moment it's about um getting this model um, and continuing to get this model to to be bought by people to deliver for people so that we you know we're kind of really living up to the expectations that, that we've been talking to people about and then longer term I think it's about looking at how we can take this model um, and and pre- and having proven it in the world that we know of the creative digital tech kind of overall creative industry space actually look to start to replicate that into different sectors as well um, because that's something that we both feel very passionately about um, international expansion all of that kind of stuff is very much on our radar um, but we need to make sure that we get this right and that we can we can deliver a great solution um, for me there's kind of two quite clear goals to stick with the short term and long term the short term is to fix an outdated recruitment model in an industry that is desperately in need. The long-term goal is to change recruitment globally forever. It's a nice big, bold statement from a big, bold visionary person. That's what I love. Um, so where can people find out about what you're up to? Um, obviously, we'll put in social feeds and all that kind of stuff in the, the show notes. But where can people find out about Hidden and uh, what's coming next? So there's not really a lot online from us at the moment because um, we've deliberately been hidden, which uh, has, has actually been great because it's been it was a deliberate strategy for us to be able to get in front of people and talk to them rather than people say and have the amount of times can you send me your website can you send me a document about yourselves and we're like no we need to come and chat to you um, and that's actually opened up some really great conversations and, and that strategy seems to work really well um, but you know we are a, a kind of a modern thinking growing business now and we need to get stuff out there so as of the middle of October we will have a website that will actually tell people what we do which I think will be helpful and will, will certainly aid um aid what we're doing um other than that the kind of social channels um, which i'll let ross talk to you about because he is mr social yeah i do look after the social media and my own uh, personal uh, which if anyone wants to follow me is ross t underscore talent um and our 
our business um, social channels are at Hidden HQ. Um, and I think the messaging that, that will come out kind of October, November will hopefully resonate with people, but but also will in show and, and demonstrate some of the technology that we've been tirelessly building and thank the support from the tech guys that we've had in doing that. Um, which is now available for our clients to download on the App Store, um, but also um, will hopefully be showcasing the way that we can now use technology intuitively to help remove some of the biases in the process and to help to start to build more diverse teams, um, but but not taking away the, the strengths that of the human connection, which I think is really important. Um, and if anybody wants to chat, please get in touch and we'll have... Uh, a conversation um, and a really open conversation about whether we can help influence your business and your strategy. So there you have it, uh, Mavericks. That was uh, Richard and Ross from Hidden. I have to say, guys, it's been a real privilege talking to you. Um, I, I mentioned earlier the chemistry is really clear how close you work, you know, how close you work together, but also how well you get on. And um, I love the vision that you have. So. Good luck with it all. Obviously, we'll stay close. Um, you did mention earlier uh, others, others in the network as well. We're speaking to Hannah from Fearless Futures in a couple of weeks. Um, so there you go. So Mavericks, thanks for listening in. We'll speak to you on the Mavericks podcast next time. Bye for now. So what were your main takeaways from that interview? I think for me, the three main takeaways were these. Number one, that there really is a strategic business case for diversity and inclusion so many businesses to pay lip service to it but really if you keep on doing the same thing over and over again you'll keep on getting the same results and diversity inclusion really is a key to innovation and creativity the second insight for me was really around being able to clearly articulate what your business is doing from the earliest opportunity so many purpose-driven organizations and entrepreneurs basically just follow their passion and kind of get there eventually but it's really important to be able to articulate very early on what you're about, what you're doing and what value you create. The third thing for me is really about that hidden conversation about the impact of entrepreneurship on our families. And as you heard from Rich and Ross, clear communication is absolutely key in your journey to being a successful entrepreneur. So those were my key takeaways, but I'm really keen to hear what yours are. So leave a comment over on the podcast page at mavericksunlimited.com let us know what your key learnings were finally if you're a maverick an entrepreneur or a leader who really is keen to live life on your own terms and make your own rules be sure to head over to mavericks unlimited and sign up for a free ebook it's called superpowers aren't just for superheroes it's all about how to create life on your own terms using your signature strengths with that thanks for listening in and we'll see you on the next podcast bye for now